0: Good afternoon, and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERA Arlington, 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. Menopause is one point in a continuum of life stages for women and marks the end of their reproductive years. Most women experience menopause between the ages of 45 and 55 years as a natural part of biological aging. Today, my guest is Rachel Bonner, holistic nurse practitioner with Rachel B. Well. She's going to describe what women experience as they go through menopause, including physical changes, signs and symptoms, and common health risks. She will also talk about available treatment options for menopause and provide tips to help women manage this life transition. So welcome, Rachel, and thank you for joining me today.
1: Thank you, Cheryl. I'm really excited to be here to talk to you today.
0: Okay. Well, Rachel, to begin with, I gave a very short definition of menopause, but expand on that. Why does it occur? Is it a normal part of aging? Tell us more.
1: I think the simplest definition of menopause is that point of time when a woman has not had a menstrual cycle in one year. Um, It is a normal part of aging, but it can also be a very difficult transition due to the different symptoms that women face during this time. Um, And these symptoms can be very individualized as well. Uh, Menopause occurs because a woman's ovaries stop producing sex hormones, which includes estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. And that is why all of these symptoms, you know, begin.
0: And is it possible that while we're saying that it's a normal part of aging, could menopause be triggered by some other activity, maybe a surgical procedure or maybe some other causes that would induce menopause? Tell us a little bit more about what these other possibilities might be besides aging.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, Menopause can be caused by a surgical procedure that usually um, involves removing the ovaries, such as a hysterectomy, um, which is the removal of a woman's uterus, and often the ovaries as well. Um, or possibly what's called an oophorectomy, which is the removal of just the ovaries. Um, Many women who have a hysterectomy though, um, it's really good knowledge to have this because most people don't know this, that even without removal of the ovaries, they can start experiencing symptoms of menopause within five years. Um, There are also medications such as chemotherapy and radiation um, that can cause early menopause, trauma to the pelvis or reproductive organs. Um, Autoimmune diseases can cause menopause, and certain infections um, can cause ovarian failure, such as mumps and HIV. Um, prolonged exposure to chemicals and toxins, and even cigarette smoking um, can cause menopause in women.
0: So it sounds like people need to be aware that menopause can happen for a lot of different reasons, which mm-hmm. maybe they didn't even know.
1: Yeah, and at a lot of different ages, actually, too. Well, and,
0: and to that point then, Rachel, let's talk about menopausal transition. I, I understand it's called perimenopause. Is, is that correct?
1: Yeah. Um, perimenopause is that time period when women first begin to experience changes in their hormone levels and start having symptoms consistent with the end of their reproductive years.
0: So tell us more. Now, when does it begin? I mean, I mentioned during our introduction that it's, you know, usually between age 45 and 55 years, mm-hmm. but is that always the the case? How long does it last? Give us kind of an overview of what you've seen in your practice.
1: For sure. Perimenopause can actually start in the late 30s for women, um, up to the early 50s. Uh, generally, perimenopause lasts about four years on average, but it can be up to 10 years in some women. Um, It is a time period that women's symptoms are often misdiagnosed or minimized by clinicians. Um, Women are actively seeking answers, you know, to what the causes of these symptoms are at this time. And unfortunately, they're often ignored or even offered medications for, you know, problems such as sleep, depression, and even anxiety.
0: And obviously, that then they could be misdiagnosed, right? Yeah,
1: and they can become very frustrated because they don't feel that their concerns you know, are being addressed um, seriously or with empathy by their healthcare providers.
0: So let's talk about the common signs and symptoms of menopause and maybe the less common. Obviously, we're talking about a lot of different women now who are going through this. So give us the whole range of signs and symptoms of menopause and then in addition, obviously, we're talking about women of different races or ethnicities. Mm-hmm. Does it vary with these women? Might it be different, again, in terms of age or symptoms? Yeah. What do we need to know?
1: Well, I think that it's important to realize that, you know, these symptoms that we're talking about really start in those perimenopause years, that transi- that transitional time period. Um, Women may complain of irregular menstrual cycles, you know, increased mood irritability, they often have sleep disturbances um, related a lot of times to what we call vasomotor symptoms um, that are like what women generally refer to as hot flashes or night sweats. I have many women that will present to me with a little bit more unusual symptoms like joint pain um, or vertigo. Um, often they can even be having like heart palpitations um, that they don't realize are related to um, menopause symptoms. And these things can be missed by clinicians and healthcare providers, as I kind of you know mentioned before. Um, and they might often be attributed to some other disease process. And it's really just, you know, those change in hormone levels that are, you know, instigating these symptoms. Um, Brain fog is another huge complaint of women during this time as well. They'll come in thinking that they have dementia, you know, or real concerns about, you know, changes in their memory or word finding difficulty. Um, I think that these symptoms can be intermittent. Um, They're often very very quite severe for some women, um, causing disruption in their normal daily routine and affecting their work life productivity as well. There is research that suggests that race and ethnicity may affect the timing, most especially of menopause. Um, Every woman's experience is truly unique, but studies have shown that women of color tend to enter perimenopause and menopause at earlier ages than their white peers. Um, They may have longer transition periods, and they can experience actually even more intense hot flashes and vaginal symptoms. Um, certain ethnic groups have also been found to have more gastrointestinal symptoms, such as bloating and nausea. Um, Hispanic women in particular were more likely to have higher severity scores for constipation, weight gain, and bloating in research studies.
0: So it really does depend on who you are? and It does. And are there other kinds of factors which might determine what kind of symptoms you have besides race or ethnicity or age or anything else?
1: I think that you know stressors that women face on a daily basis can definitely, um, you know, influence menopause symptoms. Um, you know, you know, sleep disruption. Um, you know, stress at job, at home, like all of these things. Not exercising, all of those things can play a factor in how severe um, women's symptoms are.
0: Okay, and so to that point, then they're having these symptoms. Is it likely that menopause would require medical treatment, or how does a healthcare provider determine what the treatment is appropriate?
1: The FDA has approved HRT for four indications: um, those moderate to severe vasomotor symptoms, which we you know commonly refer to as hot flashes and night sweats, prevention of osteoporosis in postmenopausal women treatment of low estrogen caused by low hormone levels or what we call hypogonadism, um, and treatment of moderate to severe vulvovaginal symptoms such as vaginal dryness, pain with intercourse, or frequent urinary tract infections. But we know that there are many other Um, reasons to take hormone-replace therapy. Um, And it doesn't always require medical treatment. There are some patients who have very few symptoms, and they're able to transition without a lot of medical assistance. Although, to be fair, these are not typically the patients that come to see me. (laughs) Um, I think it's important to take into account the impact that a woman's symptoms are having on her quality of life, the impact these symptoms may be having on their overall health, um, if women are experiencing a lot of hot flashes and night sweats and not sleeping, that can have a huge impact on her health and really all aspects of her life. Um, I always tell my patients that if I can't help you to sleep better, it will, it will be very difficult to improve any other symptoms they are experiencing with menopause, especially symptoms such as fatigue, weight gain, food cravings, anxiety, um, and loss of libido
0: you have mentioned hormone replacement therapy already. And over the years, we've heard so much about that. So mm-hmm. give us a tutorial about hormone replacement therapy. What, what is it? And what are the issues that women should consider before using this therapy? What do they need to know?
1: I think in the most basic sense, replacing the hormones a woman's body is no longer producing, you know, is what HRT does. Um, It can consist of estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, and DHEA, you know, all of those things or even just some of them. Um, Some women will be prescribed some of those um, hormones and others may take all of them. Um, Which therapies a woman takes may be dependent on symptoms, health concerns, or diseases that she may be at increased risk um, with aging. Um, There are contraindications to taking HRT, smoking, history of a blood clot in the leg or lung, history of a blood clotting disorder, um, or what we call coagulopathies, can be um, a contraindication. Uh, Uncontrolled high blood pressure, even morbid obesity can be a contraindication, women that have severe active liver disease or hormone-dependent tumors of the breast, uterus, or ovary, or maybe even family history of those types of tumors, Um, and women that are having undiagnosed or abnormal vaginal bleeding, like that all needs to be um, assessed before starting hormone replacement therapy. And might
0: another factor be if they're taking certain medications, that there might be some interaction or a negative interaction that could occur if they decide to start taking hormone replacement therapy?
1: There are. Um, I would say it's very limited. Like, I don't see that a lot or have to deal with that um, much. I would say that, you know, some women are prescribed medications, with, which I think we're going to get into a little bit later, um, that can treat some of the symptoms of HRT.
0: Well, and I was also wondering as well, and I'm recalling because this was years ago. In fact, I might have even been taking HRT. And then there were studies that went on. Mm-hmm. And then there was everybody stopped taking. Right. Yep. Can you talk a little bit more about that in terms of what happened and why now HRT is considered a, a therapy for menopause?
1: What I would say a substantial barrier. Um, is and fear of HRT is mostly rooted in the findings from the Women's Health Initiative study. Um, This data was published in 2002. Uh, The Women's Health Initiative was the largest study ever done evaluating menopausal women taking HRT and fears that were founded on this research data were actually later found to have very limited statistical significance in many areas, especially in the incidence of breast cancer in women on HRT. Um, most providers are still not educated on the problems with the data from the study, and many health experts actually believe it has had a negative impact on health care for women, especially in the prevention of chronic disease. Well,
0: okay, so... If a person, a woman decides that she's going to get uh, hormone replacement therapy, I just wanted to clarify, are there different options and do the side effects vary then depending on which option a woman might choose?
1: Yeah, um, I think the most common question I receive from patients and women is what is the difference between bioidentical and conventional hormone therapy? Uh, Conventional hormones are often patented, artificial, or derived from other animals. They're also chemically altered from human hormones or have a different chemical structure than human hormones. They are commercially available hormone therapies, and they can be available as pills, patches, gels, creams, pellets, and injections. Um, Some more common examples of those are premarin, prempro, medroxyprogesterone, and methyltestosterone. Bioidentical hormones, which are the hormones that I actually advocate for, are therapies that are molecularly identical to the hormones produced in the human body, those hormones being estradiol, estriol, progesterone, and testosterone. They may be synthetic, but they are often formula- formulated by um, specialized compounding pharmacies with a prescription specific to a patient's needs. Um, Typically, the bioidentical hormones are chemically processed from precursors found in yams or soy plants, and they're also available in multiple modalities um, that I referred to before, patches, pills, creams, gels, trochees, and even vaginal preparations. Um, There are side effects of HRT. Um, Those side effects can be waking or bloating or fluid retention, um, breast tenderness, vaginal bleeding, and even hair loss. But generally, I would say these side effects are specific to improper dosing of the hormone therapy or using supra-therapeutic dosing to treat patient's symptoms. Uh, When prescribing HRT, the treatment goal, I believe, should always be to provide the lowest, most effective dose consistent with the goals for that patient and also in terms of minimizing the risks. Um, Optimizing a patient's hormone levels to a therapeutic range um, AIDS in preventing chronic disease and can also slow aging
0: slowing aging. I mean, that sounds like a good segue into my next question, which is what are the benefits? Is that one of the benefits as you consider what you're going to prescribe to your patients? how do you weigh that? Obviously, you also mentioned some of the risks already. Sure. So, Give us a balance here of benefits. Do they stop having all the symptoms versus they're still going to have some of these risks? How do you weigh that and what do women need to know?
1: I think that women need to know that, you know, most of their symptoms can be effectively treated with HRT. Um, They need to know, though, also that the greatest benefit you know, of HRT is seen within the first 10 years after a woman's last menstrual period. And that HRT is most effective um, if started within the first five years after menopause. Um, and honestly, that might be one of the most important points when considering starting HRT um, is this time frame that it is most effective. Uh, benefits of HRT can be, you know, relief of the vasomotor symptoms, of night sweats and hot flashes that are very troublesome for, troublesome for women. Um, it can, HRT can increase bone mineral density and protect our bones as we age, decreasing risk for osteoporosis and hip and vertebral fractures. Um, there's also data that suggests HRT can decrease risk for colorectal cancer. Um, we know that HRT decreases the risk for dementia and can improve cognition. And we have more and more re- Research that supports this. Um, there's a recent book by Dr. Lisa Muscani who had XX Brain. Um, it's an excellent resource for women concerned about, you know, um, Alzheimer's disease and dementia in general. Um, HRT can improve our skin and hair texture. It helps with sleep, mood, libido, and quality of life. Um, it also helps us to maintain our muscle mass, which we do lose, you know, as we age. Um, HRT is essential to improving vaginal health in many patients and helping, you know, to support urinary health as well.
0: What's not to like,
1: huh? I know, right? <laughs> Fixes everything. <laughs> and so to that point,
0: Rachel, based on all of these benefits that you've just described, how long should women be given hormone replacement therapy does is the determinant their age or their symptoms Uh, what are the considerations for when you say "Ah, i think it's time to stop
1: so i'll refer to the position statement from the north american menopause society um, and they basically are um, advocating that treatment should be individualized using the best available evidence to maximize benefits and minimize risks Um, in patients, and they're also advocating that we reevaluate those benefits and risks, you know, the longer patients are taking this therapy. There really presently is not a specific timeframe for stopping HRT, but like as I said before, to obtain the greatest benefit, most research suggests that it should be continued for ten years. Um, it's also important as women age to assess that risk versus benefit ratio when prescribing HRT, which could be dependent on other disease processes they may develop, you know, during that time period, um, and you know, also. Um, you know, taking into account the contraindications to um, HRT that I referred to previously. You know, there are risks for HRT for some women. It can increase risk for blood clots, you know, especially in women with undiagnosed clotting disorders. You know, there's a possible increased risk for hormone-mediated cancers. Um, You know, women can have irregular vaginal bleeding or hair loss if the dosing, like I said, of the hormones is not balanced or the proper testing is not done before women start HRT that can minimize these risks.
0: Well, and in, in addition to HRT then, when you uh, are seeing your women patients, do you on occasion prescribe other medications to treat menopause symptoms? And if Mm -hmm. so, is that in concert with HRT? Or is that instead of are there side effects associated with these medications? What other possibilities might you see?
1: You know, I would say most women are coming to me um, to be prescribed hormone replacement therapy. But, you know, as we mentioned before, we do have to take into account their health issues and possible risks for taking hormone replacement therapy. There are many clinicians that do use, you know, standard medications to treat menopause symptoms such as antidepressants like Effexor, Prozac, Zoloft, and Lexapro. Um, I've often seen clinicians use anti-anxiety agents that can be prescribed, such as Ativan, Xanax, and Lorazepam. You know the biggest problem with this class of medications is they're very addictive, and they've been associated with memory loss with long-term use. Um, I've also seen clinicians use um, Neurontin, which is often used to treat neuropathy and mood disorders. Um, and a lot of times, clinicians will use that medication to treat vasomotor symptoms, you know, in women that cannot take hormone replacement therapy. But there are side effects of these drugs as well, um, such as weight gain and decreased libido, difficulty achieving orgasm, you know, sleep disturbances, and carbohydrate cravings. Which, unfortunately, most women in menopause, you know, they're already dealing with these problems, so they can actually exacerbate um, these issues for patients. Um, Yeah. So, you know, I try to avoid them as much as possible. Um, I try to use more of an integrative approach um, and other alternative, you know, remedies. But like I said, you know, some clinicians that aren't quite as educated in menopause may be relying on these medications more heavily.
0: Well, and to that point, we're going to take a break shortly, but I just wanted you to talk a little bit more about the barriers for treating menopause. I think you mentioned it earlier about how... Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, women are misdiagnosed or dismissed. Mm-hmm. What What do you know and what do you see regarding treating menopause and what possible barriers might uh, uh, be occurring?
1: Right. So, like, I think, you know, as I mentioned, the Women's Health Initiative was a huge barrier um, for women to access hormone replacement therapy. Um, and, like, you know, the, often their symptoms are minimized and not addressed. Um, Sometimes menopause care for patients can be honestly quite abysmal. Um, Menopause in general is understudied and undertaught. Um, There's a lack of awareness and education regarding menopause among healthcare providers and patients in general. Um, You know, most providers are just not educated on the problems that women face um, in menopause and often, you know, not as empathetic as women would like them to be.
0: Well... That will be a good segue into our second half uh, when we'll talk more about how you can handle the symptoms. But we're going to take a short break right now in case you tuned in late. The topic is menopause today, and we're speaking with Rachel Bonner, who is a holistic nurse practitioner with a company called Rachel B. Well. And we, uh, you, are listening to WERA Arlington 96.7 FM. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We're having a good discussion about menopause with Rachel Bonner, who is the Holistic Nurse Practitioner with Rachel B. Well. And Rachel, I wanted to be talking about other remedies that are used to treat menopause symptoms, but I wanted to make sure our listeners got that resource that you mentioned in the first half. I believe it was the North American Menopause Society. Could you... Just give the website or how folks can find that and maybe even what good resources might be available on there for them.
1: Yeah, um, NAMS, it is a great resource for women if they're seeking more information about menopause. It's also um, a great resource if they're looking for a provider, you know, that has additional training in treating symptoms of menopause. They can actually just go to the website menopause.org, and that will take them directly to that site. um, And they can look at, like, lists of providers in their area um, that they may want to seek out um, to treat symptoms of menopause.
0: That's great, because this program goes well beyond the Washington, D.C. area where we're broadcasting right now. So uh, if folks are looking for somebody who might be more sensitive to symptoms, that's that's really uh, very helpful. Yeah. So I wanted to move on. We've talked a lot about HRT and other medications. What other remedies are available to treat menopause symptoms? Is there something else that you um, advise sometimes, or have uh, say women discovered something that is just the perfect uh, answer for the situation? What have you seen?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, there are definitely lots of other um, supplement type remedies, you know, that have been effective in treating menopause symptoms, um, herbal therapies. Are often used to treat menopause symptoms. Um, Usually, these therapies contain what are called phytoestrogens, which means they are estrogens that are derived from plants. Um, You know, I also use adaptogenic herbs um, to help my patients with symptoms of menopause. Um, Adaptogens are herbs and plants that aid in supporting adrenal health as well. Um, They help with cortisol regulation and they help to regulate stress, you know, and provide stress relief. um, and these herbs also can support like our normal circadian rhythm so that our sleep cycles um, can improve as well. Um, soy is another um, herbal therapy. It's really the most commonly taken phytoestrogen. Um, it can be very helpful for women in early menopause, or I find it's more helpful in women that are suffering with milder symptoms, to be quite honest. Um, soy, soy is about one third as effective as HRT in treating symptoms overall. Um, And soy derivatives can often aid women in improving mood and fatigue. I do think, and I caution my patients, um, that they should really be careful with how much soy they're ingesting, as for some women it can really cause inflammation. Um, And as we know, soy is a very highly genetically modified plant in the United States. Um, So there can be some concern there um, in terms of consuming too much soy. Vitax, also known as chase tree berry and black cohosh, are other herbal therapies um, that support estrogen and progesterone production. Um, and a lot of times I use maca um, with my patients. That's another one of those adaptogenic herbs. I do use this pretty commonly to help, you know, improve energy in my patients, um, to help support libido, um, and to actually help support their testosterone production. And this can be even used in women, you know, that aren't necessarily menopausal, but just have low testosterone levels also.
0: And are these remedies that you're suggesting right now, are they used more generally in terms of all kinds of symptoms? I'm thinking because the thing we think about most of all, when we talk about menopause is hot flashes. And so that is my next question of best ways to manage hot flashes, but I'm sort of weaving that in. Yeah. Do these remedies help manage that symptom or, or what?
1: These remedies can definitely help um, with those symptoms. But like I said, generally, I feel like they're more effective for women that don't have quite as severe of those vasomotor symptoms or, you know, their symptoms are just milder, you know, in general. Um, I think, you know, another thing to think about is lifestyle changes are very important in managing hot flashes. And I do, you know, reinforce this with my patients regularly. Um, It's really key that women take a look at their diet and start decreasing their intake of what we call simple carbohydrates, like those hidden sugars that are found in processed foods, and really limiting refined sugars as well. Um, alcohol is another huge one. Um, alcohol Limiting alcohol can really help in limiting hot flashes and night sweats, and even just promoting better sleep Um, because alcohol is actually a sleep disruptor. You know, you'll hear your patients say, well, if I have a glass of wine, you know, I fall asleep faster. And that might be the case, but most likely those patients are going to be waking up later, you know, and having more of those vasomotor symptoms if they're in the throes of menopause. I really do harp on exercise and the importance of being active on a daily basis. Um, That definitely helps with hot flashes as well. Um, prioritizing sleep, working on coping with stress and trying to relieve stressors can also be very helpful. Um, Like I said, the herbal therapies and HRT are therapies that can aid to resolve hot flashes and night sweats. I mean, I will say HRT is probably the most effective in treating those symptoms.
0: And one thing I just wanted to, before we move on to uh, uh, some of the other aspects of dealing with menopause is... With respect to those remedies that you're talking about herbal remedies, are there any contraindications again, you know, especially if say women as they get older might be taking other kind of medications, is it smart to check with you or check with a healthcare provider about just sort of starting on some of these herbal remedies to make sure that you're not making a mistake or or having other problems yeah. because of medications you're taking?
1: No, I think it's very important that, you know, patients are also are very honest with their healthcare providers in terms of what supplements they're taking. Because, you know, some of these herbs are actually the basis of medications that we prescribe patients also. Um, and so they can be very actively active chemically, you know, in the body and they can interact with other drugs. And they might not be, like I said, the best choices um, for patients with certain health risks.
0: So obviously, make sure that when uh, women do visit their healthcare provider they do have a list of what they're taking right now even if it's supplements and over the counter drugs so that a healthcare provider can make an honest recommendation Agree? oh yeah
1: it's very important and i you know i'm very thorough with my patients and i do you know look at all the supplements they are taking when i consider any kind of you know hormone or medical therapy for that matter
0: okay well, and I think another factor to consider as women deal with uh, menopause is the whole idea of sexual pleasure. Mm-hmm. So talk about that. Is it possible to have sexual pleasure during and, and after menopause? What should women know? What can they expect? And how can they enhance uh, their situation to make sure that they do have sexual pleasure?
1: Yeah, I think that's a very important point. And I think the short answer is yes. Um, There are multiple therapies we can use to assist um, women um, with vaginal symptoms or low libido um, and pain with intercourse. I think that this is a topic that the healthcare provider or clinician really needs to broach with their patient. Um, often women are self-conscious or they might not be as, you know, open to discussing these issues. Um, HRT is definitely one component of assisting um, with you know, aiding sexual pleasure, but lifestyle changes are important too, you know, that help the women feel more confident about her body image, um, changes that help to address fatigue and, you know, handle stress that women are facing in their daily lives um addressing issues women may have with their sexual partners is also a critical component you know of increasing pleasure during and after menopause uh, many women have improved sex lives actually during these years you know of perimenopause and menopause for the simple fact that they no longer have to fear pregnancy you know or their children are older and out of the house so they have more time to spend with their partners. Uh, you know, and just more personal freedom. So it can be a great time, you know, in terms of um, women's sex life. Um, It doesn't always have to be, you know, a time that can cause, you know, more sexual um, health issues.
0: And what I'm also hearing you say, Rachel, is the importance of communicating personal needs during menopause would you agree that it's really helpful to share the feelings not only say with a spouse or partner or whatever but even children Mm -hmm. what what do you tell your your patients about that
1: i mean i think women definitely need to be more forthcoming you know with their concerns about symptoms of menopause Um, and they need to seek out assistance with managing those symptoms because they are disruptive to their daily lives i think historically Women have not been as open about menopause symptoms. I know, you know, most of my patients will say my mother does not remember her menopause or she never talked about it. Um, or, you know, I told her kind of like the symptoms I was having and my she just kind of minimized my concerns or told me to just deal with them. But healthcare providers regularly tell women that as well. Uh, menopause is a part of life, but it doesn't have to be suffered through. You know, we can help women feel better during this transition. Um, I think in the past few years, especially You know, my women patients are much more educated about menopause, um, and they're not okay with just accepting or suffering through these symptoms. Um, You know, like I said before, sometimes people get misdiagnosed or they're treated for other health health issues or even prescribed medications to treat mental illness, you know, that are really just related to hormone imbalance. Um, I think it can be very helpful to share these feelings with family members, Um, and like I said, to really question the female ones about, you know, what they went through during menopause, what symptoms they had, you know, that might've been most bothersome for them and possibly like even treatments they tried, you know, or may have had adverse reactions to, um, you know, discussing these issues, um, with their partners, um, as often symptoms, like I said, can cause mood irritability, fatigue. You know, it can affect intimacy in a relationship due to, you know, physical changes that the woman has with her body at that time.
0: I suspect that sometimes women also talk with each other about what they're going through and so provide support to each other as well.
1: Yeah, they definitely do. I think, you know, I just had a patient recently and she's like, but none of my friends have had any of these symptoms. (laughs) I definitely think she's in the minority um, because I think most women, you know, do use each other or friends to kind of bounce symptoms off uh, and like, you know, just ask about what things might be helping them um, with those symptoms.
0: Exactly, exactly. You had mentioned already about excessive alcohol use, and I Mm -hmm. didn't know if you wanted to mention anything more about that. I would suspect you also have some very strong feelings about why, well, we all know this already, we (laughs) shouldn't be smoking at all, but is smoking even more of an issue for women who are going through menopause? So talk about smoking and excessive alcohol use.
1: Yeah, I mean, so like you said, smoking is really contraindicated in preventing any disease process, right? And generally a contraindication for starting HRT, smoking can interfere with estrogen metabolism and promote, you know, increased risk for blood clotting and stroke. Um, alcohol, as I mentioned before, it can definitely disrupt sleep, right? It can cause more night sweats and hot flashes, but it's also detrimental to liver function, and our liver is how we, you know, metabolize our hormones, right? So it can really disrupt that metabol um, that metabolic process. Um, we detox our hormones through our liver, and that can, you know, if we're drinking lots of alcohol, they might that may disrupt hormone balance even further. Um, alcohol can also disrupt our absorption of nutrients and digest and inhibit digestion. Which can affect our microbiome, which you may have heard about, like all those bacteria that live in our gut, um, and this in turn can affect how we detox hormones and packaging packaging them up, you know, to excrete them also.
0: And you had mentioned already in terms of diet about limiting in terms of of carbs. So mm-hmm. talk a little bit more about that and and maybe even expand on that. Are there other foods that okay. that should be avoided? Is the so-called Mediterranean diet the diet to think about? We've now been also been hearing about the keto diet. What what do you right. recommend in terms of diet?
1: So when I talk about diet with my patients, I try to get them to concentrate more on what we call macronutrients. So, like protein, healthy fats, and complex carbohydrates. You know, those are all components of the diets that you're referring to. So like the ketogenic diets are the diets that are, you know, traditionally much lower in carbohydrates and have a higher fat and protein um, content, Mediterranean diet, same thing, generally a much more protein based diet, you know, and less of those simple carbohydrates, um, I find that, you know, patients that are doing those things are, or, you know, even a combination of those things, um, are much more successful in terms of their weight management and managing symptoms of menopause. I mean, unfortunately, you know, or fortunately women after menopause, we just need less simple carbohydrates. And that's what I tell my patients, like, think about calling it like the white stuff, right. Um, or like avoiding more of the starchier fruits and vegetables and the grains, um, in our diet we really need to prioritize protein to help maintain our muscle mass um, because this is essential for blood glucose regulation, which becomes more of an issue when women lose their hormones. Um, A lot of, you know, my patients will tell me, well, you know, I told my healthcare provider, um, you know, I'm eating exactly the same as I was before. And I'm, you know, now I'm gaining weight or I'm having trouble losing weight. Um, and I think that, you know, cult, that kind of like old adage, like ca- calories in, calories out, you know, when we're thinking about weight loss is really a myth <laughs> after menopause. Weight loss in menopausal women is a much more complex, you know, endocrine process. Um, I really do, you know, try to review with my patients that eating whole foods and avoid uh, and avoiding processed foods is essential. Um, I ask them to think about the food, you know, when they're trying to differentiate the t- these two um, in the terms of like, does it have a mother? Did it come from the ground? Um, you know, because typically that will answer whether it's a processed food, you know, or a whole food and do
0: you recommend dietary supplements? I mean, there gosh, there are so many in fact, I did a program recently totally about dietary supplements. do you recommend do you recommend any in particular during menopause and if if so, which ones and for for what purpose?
1: yeah, I mean, I definitely like I said. I'll reiterate, you know, I really try to get my patients to be eating whole foods, you know, and avoiding processed foods. But I do think there are some dietary supplements that can be helpful if women aren't getting all the nutrients um, that they require from their diet, you know, which, I mean, it can be difficult. We're busy people, right? Um, I do recommend protein powders for women and, like, protein bars can be good um, tools for women trying to reach their protein goals on a daily basis, when they aren't able to meet them from just meals, um, greens powders are another thing that can be easily added to smoothies, to increase fiber needs and promote healthy digestion and bowel motility. Um, these powders are generally also rich in antioxidants um, and vitamins. Um, more recently, I would a supplement that I've been advocating for women is creatine. Um, we found that as women age, their creatine levels actually drop in their brain tissue, and this can really interfere with cognition. Um, creatine is also essential um, to aid in building muscle um, and maintaining muscle. Um, in the past, I think this supplement, you know, as you may have heard, was used predominantly by men. Um, but recently, like I said, there's a lot more research showing the value um, of women taking this after menopause.
0: And Rachel, you obviously are talking about this in uh, these uh, supplements that you recommend to your patients. Um, Again, you're located here in the East Coast. If someone is interested in perhaps trying out some of these supplements, is there someone like in a drugstore that could provide some assistance or some advice? What would you recommend in terms of who to see? Mm if? You know, somebody wanted to think about protein powder or whatever.
1: Well, it probably depends on the pharmacy. Like some of the compounding pharmacies will have, you know, um, employees that are more knowledgeable, you know, in nutrition um, and supporting weight loss or weight management. Um, I think, you know, if your nutritionists can be really good resources or dieticians, you know, to aid with prescribing these um, supplements. Um, there are also, you know, naturopathic physicians that can be often, you know, very helpful. They're very knowledgeable in different types types of supplements and vitamins, you know, any all of those alternative therapies um, to aid patients with menopause symptoms.
0: And actually, I'm even going to ask because I'm not sure what is a compounding pharmacy? What does that mean?
1: So a compounding pharmacy is a specialty pharmacy that can actually, um, you know, take a prescription specific, like I said, to a patient's needs and make that medicine at the dosage that the provider um, prescribes. So like you can get HRT from compounding pharmacies where they use um, bases, like I said, that are generally derived from like soy or yams. Um, and they compound them into all kinds of modalities of hormone replacement therapy. Like they can make pills, they can make gels, they can make, you know, creams. Um, but it's specific in terms of, you know, that actual dosage that the provider thinks um, will most benefit that patient.
0: That's very helpful because I was not familiar with with that. And I'm <laughs> sure that maybe some of our listeners aren't as well. So we've now talked about the diet And you have mentioned a little bit about exercise and of course, Mm -hmm. and how that pertains to weight control, but talk a little bit more about that. Are we talking about exercise that's really frantic or walking or weightlifting or what do you recommend to help women not only treat their menopause symptoms, but also the whole idea of the weight control, which may be Mm -hmm. more of a problem as people get older?
1: Right. And specifically to women, as our estrogen levels start to drop, we become less insulin sensitive and our cortisol levels also increase, which that causes blood sugar dysregulation. And the more blood sugar dysregulation we have, the more difficulty we have um, in terms of weight loss, you know, you, women tend to start complaining, like we talked about before, of belly fat, when in the past, you know, most of their fat was deposited in their hips or their buttocks, you know, or their thighs. So in a sense, we honestly become a little bit more like men, <laughs> you know, cause we don't have a lot of female hormones left, although we might still have a little bit of testosterone. Um, and that starts to put us at higher risk for some of the same d- diseases as men, like cardiovascular disease and, um, diabetes, But in terms of exercise, I think that women need to focus more on, you know, lifting weights um, and helping to maintain and build their skeletal muscle Um, because always my patients who are uh, more focused on weight, you know, lifting, lifting heavy weights um, will be more successful with weight management. Uh, The more skeletal muscle we have, the better blood sugar regulation we have as well. So that aids to um, in weight loss. Um, In the past, like, you know, you probably remember, like, I'm in I'm 52, I can attest to this, like my age group, we were all about cardiovascular exercise, aerobics, running, you know, we would run our brains out walking, um, step aerobics, all of those things. And now we know that after menopause, effective weight management has to incorporate a strength training regimen, you know, optimally, like three times per week. Um, and this does help to prevent chronic disease process, like I said before. Um, it also helps to support strong bones, right, and help prevent bone loss. There's also some, you know, research that high-intensity interval training in Tabata can also be incorporated, you know, to boost metabolism and help increase lean muscle mass. I mean, these exercises, you know, typically also help to improve energy um, and endurance in women.
0: And is it helpful, then? Do you recommend people, say, get a weight trainer to help to do some of these exercises, or can they do them at home, or is it a combination? What do I mean, you I think it's
1: definitely a combination. You know, some people, you know, that are in their, like, early 50s or late 40s, like, they've never lifted weights, you know? So, like, they may need somebody to really teach them the proper form so that they don't injure themselves, you know what I mean, using weights. But a lot of people do, you know, have more home gyms now, especially since COVID, right? And there's so many online sources that you can turn to as well um, with weight training in general.
0: And you did mention about the menopause belly fat. And I just wanted to (laughs) zero in on that. Is that really kind of a, a classic symptom that more women begin to show as they go through menopause? I just wanted to get a little bit more information about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it definitely is a classic symptom. Um, And it's also, you know, a very frustrating symptom for many women because I said before, you know, generally women don't have as many issues with belly fat, you know, as men um, prior to menopause. Um, I do think that diet is the most important factor um, in aiding with, you know, losing belly fat. Um, and just controlling weight in general. Um, Exercise, of course, is so important to our bodies and our brains. Um, But really what you're eating after menopause has the biggest impact on this. Um, But yeah, so I'll I'll, I'll go with diet for that one. And kind of like the things that I addressed before, you know, really prioritizing protein in your diet will help with that.
0: And I'm also hearing about the importance of sleep. You mentioned about the possibility Mm of excessive alcohol can impact sleep, but talk a little bit more about why that's so important as women get older in terms of getting enough sleep, but especially during menopause and any suggestions as to how to um, deal with that?
1: I mean, sleep is one of the biggest issues, you know, and concerns that I hear daily, um, in regards to menopause. And it's not just, like, the amount of sleep that women um, are having issue with. It's actually the quality of their sleep, too. Like, we have a much more difficult time getting into that deep sleep state um, after menopause. Um, So that can be a really issue. So we might be sleeping, you know, seven or eight hours, but because the quality of the sleep is poor, you know, women are still having fatigue, you know, or changes in their energy levels. Um, Also, I think like going to bed at the same time every night and really trying to establish a nightly ritual or bedtime routine is imperative for sleep success. You know, we talk about avoiding screens. Um, You know, blue light is something that definitely makes it more difficult for us to fall asleep. So trying to avoid screens like 60 to 90 minutes before bedtime can be helpful uh, in promoting melatonin production, which helps us fall asleep and stay asleep more easily. You know, getting up in the morning, getting sunlight on your retinas, that's one of the best, you know, ways you can optimize your circadian rhythms. And that also promotes better sleep, Um, sleeping in a cold, dark room um, like you know, most um, like 68 degrees seems to be that temperature that most women have, you know, improved sleep um, at wearing a sleep mask or really blocking out natural light in your bedroom um, may help promote sleep. You know, I always tell people TV is for sleep and sex, like you really need to avoid watching television in bed as well.
0: (laughs) And what about melatonin? Do you uh, recommend it?
1: I think melatonin can be helpful for some patients um, with sleep. Um, You can also have patients who take melatonin and it causes them to have very active dreaming um, so that they may be asleep, but they feel very unrested uh, when they wake up. Um, There are ways to measure melatonin um, in patients as well that sometimes is helpful for me to know whether they really need melatonin or not. Uh, Because melatonin, you know, it's not just a um, therapy that we use for sleep. It's very important for serotonin production and for immune support as well
0: okay so it's kind of on an individual basis Mm -hmm. and do you also recommend any kind of relaxation techniques to ease menopause symptoms
1: well yeah the short answer is yes for sure i mean like we talk walking yoga you know meditation meditation and even just practicing mindfulness. And like, this doesn't have to take hours of every day. Like, it could be just something that you incorporate every morning, you know, into your routine, like for five or 10 minutes. Um, Journaling at bedtime can also help with stress relief and just calming down all that activity in our brains. Uh, You know, the majority of women lead very busy lives and they don't prioritize self-care, which is kind of counterintuitive because if we don't take care of ourselves, you know, we won't be as successful in our relationships and our family roles you know, and even in our careers. Um, So relaxation, you know, is definitely key for all women, you know, no matter where they really are um, in their menopause um, journey.
0: Okay, well, that's a good segue to the final question here about any resources that um, you mentioned already about the North American Mm -hmm. Menopause Society. Mm -hmm. Any others? Did you want to give your website? Um, how How can our listeners learn more about menopause?
1: I would say, well, they can obviously go to my website, they can fill out my contact form, you know, if they have questions or want to have some kind of consultation um, regarding menopause. And that website's www.rachelbewell.com. I really am I'm a real big advocate for podcasts, which I guess is, you know, ironic since that's what we're doing today. Um, But there are multiple podcasts that discuss menopause topics such as everyday wellness, hosted by Cynthia Thurlow. The Gutsy Gynecologist um, is another one, hosted by Dr. Tabitha Barber. Um, There are other, you know, um, experts in menopause, such as Sarah Gottfried, Felice Gersh, and Avram Bluming. even Esther Blum. They have multiple books, you know, addressing concerns in menopause and how women can optimize their lifestyles, you know, to be successful in menopause. We talked about compounding pharmacies can be a great source, you know, for providers in their area that do hormone replacement therapy. Um, There are also, you know, companies that do hormone testing. They often have provider lists as well. Um, who specialize in menopause, such as Precision Analytical, DRT Labs, and Genova Diagnostics.
0: Okay, lots to check out. So, Well, I want to thank Rachel Bonner, Holistic Nurse Practitioner with Rachel B. Well, for joining me today. Thank you, Rachel. I appreciate all of your information.
1: Oh, thank you, Cheryl. Thank you so much for having me today.
0: All right. Well... To learn more about Aging Matters, of course, you can visit our website, which is agingmattersonline.com. And of course, at this site, you can access all of the Aging Matters radio programs that we've done over the past six and a half years and also TV show content on the uh, TV show page. So and of course, on the website, you can access the Aging Matters podcast on Apple and Spotify. So lots to find at agingmattersonline.com. Aging Matters is produced in association with Ink Mouth Media. To learn more about that company, log on to inkmouthmedia.com. Thank you again for listening to Aging Matters today. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week.